Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by a wonderful company, Creation to Revelation. This group of Christians believe it is extremely important that we teach the Word of God to our kids. They have original graphic illustrations from the beginning of the Bible to the end, featuring the beautiful and consistent presence of Jesus throughout. You can explore all of that at creationtorevelation.com. I'm so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back, and thanks for listening today. All I want to talk to you about in this episode is building your life every day of your life founded upon and surrounded by the presence and power of Jesus Christ. If you and I truly believe that he has all power, power to cast out the demons in our lives, the power to restore us with purpose no matter how many mistakes that we've made, and the inherent ability to make every day good and important in his name, then it would seem imperative that you and I learn to start everything with Jesus. That is, of course, the title for today, and I am perfectly fine in whatever way you want to apply it. I have specifics to share with you today, but ultimately, there should be no limitation to this. When we talk about start with Jesus, there will rarely, if ever, be a case when that isn't exactly the right thing to do. Easy examples include start every day with Jesus. Before you do anything else, address the God of heaven and give thanks for the roles and presence of Jesus in your life. Start every day in the word, looking for Jesus. I'll give you an example of that in a little while. Start every conversation that you have, if possible, with either the name of Jesus himself or concepts related to Jesus, or at least an impression of the character of Jesus in the way that you interact. I've probably told you before that I'm a t-shirt guy. I like the Jesus t-shirts. I was in Casey, Illinois last year, and someone made a shirt for me that says, More Jesus, and I like wearing that shirt. Christmas that year, my daughter had one made in Astro's blue and orange color that says, Much more Jesus, and I enjoy wearing that as well. That is in no way about me. My name is not on that shirt, but it is about every person that day who interacts with me seeing the name of Jesus before anything gets said. And while it's not about wearing a shirt like that, it is about sharing with the world something that is becoming true for you. He is the start of my day in thought and prayer and reading and morning conversation. He is first consideration in all of the things that I plan to do today, some of which will directly bring honor to him, and all of which will honor the value system he has created for my life. If you're like me, you've been a little hit and miss on this. Days infused with the name of the Lord, and other days where maybe he didn't get thought of almost at all. But changes in this area have the potential to change everything. So let me share with you a passage from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. This is what we're called to as disciples, and I am not burdened by the challenge of it. On the contrary, I am optimistic and excited about the prospect of acknowledging that everything in and around and about my life was made by Jesus, and ultimately as I interact with all of those people, places, and things, there are ever-present opportunities to make that about the glory of his name. May he come to have first place in everything. Again, plug in whatever you want. First place in your Monday. First place in your conversations. First place in the way that you think or speak or work or how you do everything that you are here to do. I really don't want this to sound like work. I don't want you to think, I really should start with Jesus, but that sounds like it's going to be really hard. It's actually not hard. It just takes intentional change, but the benefits, they can be immediate and often transformational in a supernatural way, especially when we are wrestling with our own personal inadequacies. Let me share with you something to exemplify that. Last Sunday night, I was driving back from Lubbock, Texas. I just finished preaching a weekend there. In fact, it was the end of a lengthy run where I had taught or preached 20 different sessions over a two-week period. It was about midnight. I still had an hour or two to go on my drive. And I was playing back in my mind the different things that I taught and the conversations that I had, and certainly I was hoping that it helped people. But for some weird, inexplicable reason, while I'm barreling down I-20, I just started feeling bad about myself. I started wondering, am I really living all of the things that I taught in the way that I should be living them by now? I went so far as to think, is God even really pleased with my life? and the choices that I'm making, and the example that I'm setting. And look, I was probably just completely worn out at that moment, but I needed to do something to change the direction it was heading. Here in Lindale, we are going through the book of Hebrews, and Tony Sellers, one of the elders here, had taught the class that morning. I wasn't there for it, but I needed to listen to it to get ready to teach on Wednesday night after I'd gotten back. So here I am, middle of the night, feeling terrible about myself, and I turn it on and watch his class. And he begins in Hebrews chapter 3. He was covering the first three chapters with the concept of being faithful and confident and diligent. And I was sitting there thinking, yes, I'm trying to do that, but honestly, at this moment, I just feel like I'm not good enough. And it's almost like he heard me say that, even though he had taught it hours earlier, Because he went back to chapter 1 and said something of this nature. We will never be good enough for God. We are not called to perfection, but we are called to belief in Jesus. Chapter 1 of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus is the greatest 
messenger that God ever sent in world history, and he sent him for us. Chapter 2 of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus secured a salvation greater than any restoration ever offered to man. Jesus suffered and died for us to make that sanctification possible through his perfection, not our own. Jesus has sat down at the right hand of God as our high priest. He is representing me favorably before his father, whether I'm barreling down the road, depressed about my failures, or lifting my hands in praise. To demonstrate to us how personal it is, the text says that Jesus became our brother. I am in the family of God, and Jesus is my elder brother. He loves me like his own because we share a father. In chapter 3, Jesus built a beautiful house where God can dwell. He owns that house. He didn't just invite me to come and visit there. He made it out of me. He invited you and me to come and be a part of the dwelling itself, to actually be the house of the Lord. And so the call of chapter 3 isn't confidence in self, it's confidence in Jesus. It's not assurance of our walk, it's assurance of his leadership. I can stand firm until the end, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. I got home that night an hour or so later and walked out in the front yard and just put my hands up and praised God and thanked him for his son. The change that I needed, the change from self-loathing to security of heart, is only possible when you start with Jesus. Maybe I'm getting off topic today, but I just think there are too many believers who are living their lives ultimately focused on building their resume for heaven, with Jesus on Sundays and occasionally a part of their lives during the week. But they never can feel true security. Because in the end, your conduct, you already know it, will never be good enough. But when you start with Jesus, you will begin to appreciate that you are good enough because of Him, the work He did, the role He plays, His presence in your life today, and the power He has to direct and bless every step that you take. So before you take them, start with Jesus. Now, to help with this on a practical level, I want to give you a few specific things to consider coming down the stretch, because this isn't purely mental praise and recognition of the Lord. It's not just the concept of thinking of Him and welcoming Him and then going about living your day however fits you. Starting with Jesus is looking to the life that He lived, the person that He is, and then drawing from that so that everything that follows your examination of him is more like him. I think a great example is a terrific book that I'm in the middle of right now, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World by John Mark Comer. The first quarter of that book is really good. It just sets up a lot of the things that we already know, You know, how busy we are and the digital world and how that's affected everything. 
and how we ought to be able to space out the things that we do, less rush, less stress, all of that good stuff. But it's after that where he really hits his stride. He says, have you ever noticed that Jesus was rarely in a hurry? Jesus got up in the morning at a good time to go spend time praying to the Lord. He could be right in the middle of a great day and see a tiny man in a tree and just go to his house and spend the afternoon. He could be healing people under great social and spiritual pressure and walk off to the mountain to commune with his father once again. He hears that one of his best friends is dying, and he says, you know, let's wait a couple of days, and then we'll go see him. To which you might say, well, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus, but that's kind of the point that Comer is making. Jesus understood the power of God and the purpose of God for his life. He understood the cadence, the rhythm of every day of life. He never packed it so full that he couldn't commune with God and take time to service the needs of any one person that God put in front of him. Now, Comer goes on to reflect that Jesus was not a husband or father or worked a 40-hour job. But when we start with Jesus, a true analysis of a perfect representation of faith, living a perfectly healthy life, we learn not to rush or hurry or panic not to overplan our schedules or push God out of the way or overlook the one sheep. We learn it from an examination of Jesus and we learn how to implement it into every life, no matter your roles or responsibilities. Can you see what I'm driving at here? You don't eliminate hurry and rush and change your schedule just because it's wise and good. You do it because you have first observed your master. And then after that, you go out and mirror his life in discipleship. Related to this, I think I've told you about it a couple of times in the past, but I had a lot of trouble with prayer about 10 years ago. I tried to talk to God. I got easily distracted. It didn't feel productive. The whole concept of walking into the throne room and pouring everything out and God refilling my bucket with fresh, clean water so I could walk nourished and capable for the rest of the day. Yeah, I didn't feel like that very often. But one day it occurred to me that I had never really sat down and just started with Jesus. And I don't mean his teachings on prayer. I mean the life of Jesus. So I sat down one day and I wrote down everywhere and every time that Jesus prayed. And there were about 40 different occasions through the Gospels. And then I started kind of circling them and putting them into categories, and I came away with 10 things. When I teach on this, I call it the perfect prayer plan, the best prayer plan in the history of all planned praying. It has 10 pieces to it. The first four have to do with when you pray, pray in the morning, pray at night, pray before your meals, and sneak away at least once a day to talk to God. Five, six, and seven tell you what to pray about. Glorify God with a thankful heart, pray for wisdom whenever you feel like you need it, and pray for God to heal you where it hurts. The last three things get it outside of just you and God, because you pray those same things for the people that you love, you do it as often as you can with the people that you love, and even lastly, you pray such things for those who don't love you. 
Every single time in my life since then that I have felt distanced from God, and it is more times than I would care to articulate here, returning to that format in prayer has awakened me to the glory of God and refound confidence and peace. And why wouldn't it work? It was the prayer life of Jesus. He started this whole thing. He started Christianity and discipleship and the church and faith. And if I would start more with him, emulating as much of his life as I can, there is really no limit to the impact he can have on my life. As a side note on this, I feel like sometimes we talk more about the church than the Christ. We talk more about our convictions than the convictions of Jesus. I don't want to be a preacher of the church or what works in my life. I want to be a minister of the Christ. So this draws us to regular daily Bible study, doesn't it? Before I do anything else, usually each and every morning, I open up the New Testament and read a chapter. But on my best days, and I recommend this to you, I'm not just reading it to get the flow of the content of the letter or even the spiritual applications within. On my best days, I'm just looking for Jesus. We did a read like that in Lindell a few years ago where we read the whole New Testament all year long and each Wednesday night we talked about five chapters and the only rule was you're only allowed to talk about Jesus. What did those passages teach us about our Lord? So you start even your Bible study with Jesus. I can give you a great example from today. Our Bible reading program, the Excel Still More Chapter a Day Facebook group, was in 2 Timothy chapter 1. There's a lot there about Paul and Timothy and faithfulness, but here's what I keyed in on. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He later says about God that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How awesome is that? And how does it make you feel to believe that about Jesus and trust in what he alone can provide? You know, after that, we can talk about conduct and growth and strength. But my argument to you today is simple. Everything that is truly good and abides and is amazing will start with Jesus. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. As always, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for the email, order the three-month journal, or just catch up on old episodes. And also, if you are looking for financial advice or future planning, give John Cunningham a call today, 205-913-1720. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.